Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Nebraska, the album. Hey everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is the podcast where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen album one by one in chronological order. Thought I was going to mess that up, didn't you? But I did. I did. I, I legitimately did. Oh man, I was ready. I saw that. I saw the fork <laughs> coming down the road, and I swerved when you didn't you did. expect me to swerve. So anyway, so yeah, so we're here. Uh, oh, my name is Rob Carmack. I'm joined as always by JB Clark. But you know that by now. Yeah. Welcome to Nebraska, JB. Welcome to hell. It's desolate. It is desolate. According to the album cover, it's the it's the most desolate place on the face of the earth. Uh, so anyway, we're we're talking about this album, Nebraska, Nebraska. We. Just so to catch anybody up, this was a podcast in which we talked about every Bruce Springsteen song, one by one in alphabetical order. We finished that last year. So now we're going back through and we're looking at the albums. And what we're trying to sort of figure out is what's the cohesive theme? What is the album itself trying to say? We took all the albums apart. We did it one by one. And now we're putting them all back together. And we're asking, now that we understand (laughs) the parts, what do we understand now more about the sum of their parts? Basically, we're just trying to stretch this thing out so we don't have to stop having a podcast because it's fun. Yep, putting them all back together. That's right, putting them all back together. <laughs> all I right, like that. so take them all apart, put them all back together. So let's talk about Nebraska. Nebraska, the album uh, was released September the thirtieth, nineteen eighty-two, on Columbia Records. And nineteen eighty-two, JB, uh, do you, off the top of your head, can you name? I, I'm so sorry to do this to you. I, I was, I, I'm realizing like this is an unfair pop quiz, but I'm just wondering, can you name like any albums from nineteen eighty-two? Just that, that you I feel know like of? you too put out an album in nineteen eighty-two. Uh, you know what? No, I don't think they did. They put one out in 81, which was Boy, and they t- put one out oh, in... Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, wait. I don't know. I'm trying to remember when October came out, because there's there, there's Boy, October, and War, and those came out in successive years. And I think I think Boy was 81, October was 83, and War was 84, and I, th- I think that's right. Anyway, all, all that to say, I, on my list, I do not have a U2 album, and I think I would if... Uh, yeah, I'm not. I just did a quick Google, and I'm not seeing it. That's all right. So anyway, um, so some of the albums that came out in 1982, the albums that were contemporaries of this one, you got Thriller by Michael Jackson, you yep. have uh, 1999 by Prince, you have Tug of War by Paul McCartney, Business as Usual by Men at Work, uh, surprisingly great album as as it turns out, uh, Combat Rock by The Clash, Pornography by The Cure, Creatures of the Night by Kiss, Diver Down by Van Halen, Rio by Duran Duran, Imperial Bedroom by Elvis Costello and the Attractions, The Envoy by Warren Zevon, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Um, we all remember where we were the first time we heard that one. Um, That's right. Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood and the Destroyers, which I did not realize that was a song that came from the 1980s. I just thought that song just existed. I did. I didn't. Never in my life. <laughs> never in my life did I ever ever wonder what the origin of "Bad to the Bone" was. But it's George Thorogood in 1982. Was it? 82 makes sense for that. But yeah, I, I kind of was the same way. Yeah. Uh, then you got "The Blue Mask" by Lou Reed, "Long After Dark" by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and JB. No joke. The number one album, uh, the biggest selling album released in 1982. In 1982, was the album Asia. By the by, the band Asia, not the Steely Dan Asia, the band Asia, A S I A, like the continent. Fantastic. I have never in my life listened to a single song from that album, but in 1982, not Thriller, not 1999, not Bad to the Bone, but Asia. 
an album no one ever talks about anymore. Now, ultimately, Thriller would become like one of the greatest selling albums of all time. So that, but it was, I guess, it was released late enough in the year that it wasn't technically the great, the the biggest selling album of that year. I just, I just found that amazing that somehow, based on a technicality, this just based on like when it was released, this album Asia ended up just being the the highest grossing album of the year. Yeah, you also had Saints and Sinners by Whitesnake. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, Mirage by Fleetwood Max, Rock in a Hard Place by Aerosmith. Oh, I'm fr- I totally missed Rock in a Hard Place. You're right. There was an Ozzy Osbourne forget. album also. Oh, Kate Bush, but I reckon the year the dream. Don't forget American Fool by John the Cougar Mellencamp. Oh, the Cougar. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so big year for some stuff, but in the midst of all of the noise, Bruce Springsteen puts out what would be. I guess in a lot of ways, his quietest album, at least until The Ghost of Tom Joad many years later. And yeah. uh, so so that's what we're working with. So the, the backstory here, of course, is in 1980, Bruce has released his massive double album, The River. This The River is, up to this point, Bruce's best performing album. It, he's he's a full-blown bona fide rock star. He's toured the world. The album has done very well. He had a top 10 radio hit with Hungry Heart. The big question on everybody's mind who's been paying attention is what is Bruce Springsteen going to do next? And so Bruce starts writing new material and intended for the next big album, which will become Born in the USA. But he's putting certain songs together and the songs are just not really working for what the the next quote unquote big capital B album is going to be. And so ultimately the songs that were recorded early on for what, what were meant to be a demo ended up becoming this album. So this album was supposed to be the demos for what would ultimately become the Born in the USA album, but it was actually little Steven Van Zant at a certain point that was like, the band recordings of this is not working. We the, the demo should be the album. Because as we talked about on the on the other you know, on our season one podcast several times was somewhere out there there's a rumor that there is something called Electric Nebraska in which yeah. the E Street Band is performing all of these songs. And a- according to the people who were there and the people who have heard those those samples it just it wasn't for for the most of the, these songs. It just was not working. I bet it's great though. I bet it. I mean, having heard a lot of these songs live, I bet it is. I can imagine like songs like "Mansion on the Hill" or um, "My Father's House." I, I would imagine struggling a little bit to hear what that would sound like with the full band. But like Johnny Ninety Nine and Atlantic City, like obviously those work perfectly well for a full band. You know. Yeah. So anyway, this song or this album was recorded at. What, Thrill Hill East in Colts Neck, New Jersey, which is basically whatever. Whenever Bruce Springsteen records at his house, he calls it Thrill Hill. And Thrill Hill East yeah. is when he records in New Jersey, and Thrill Hill West is when he records at his home or what what once was his home in Los Angeles. So um, he records this, these songs as demos on a four track recorder. Again, planning to eventually re-record them with the full band. And, and the whole album is produced by Bruce himself. He plays every instrument. He's the only musician you hear on this album. So this is a full-blown... This is, It's not just a stunt. This is, like It is a sh- true blue, stripped-down album, which is really unusual for a guy who travels with a big band and just put out a giant double album of, like, arena rock. Just the turn is, is wild. And then also just friggin' it works out. The turn is exactly right. Like, I mean, imagine being a Bruce Springsteen fan who caught him on the River Tour and being like, wow, this guy's the next big thing. And then in 1982, you hear that the Bruce Springsteen's got a new album coming out. I wonder what it's going to sound like. And you pick this up and you're like, I have no idea what to think about this. You know what I mean? Like, you, you drop the needle on the first track and it's, and we'll get to the track by track, but like, this is not, this is not the ties to bind. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is, no, a, yeah, this is totally different. A big departure from whatever Bruce has been up to lately. 
And apparently he was in a pretty dark place. I mean, obviously, you can listen to this album and not be surprised at all to hear, oh, apparently Bruce was in a dark place while he was making these songs. So Max Weinberg, in fact, the drummer for the E Street Band, who was waiting patiently for, <laughs> for the recording sessions to start, says, and this is a quote, he says, he, Bruce, went into a kind of seclusion. You didn't see a lot of him. And for a while, none of us even knew where he lived. <laughs> Because apparently, after they got off the river tour, Bruce went out in the country in Colts Neck, New Jersey, and bought a house and didn't tell anybody where the house was. Oh, my gosh. And so that's what Max says. He says, I remember that distinctly. I think he felt the stirring of what was to come, and it freaked him out a little bit. The loss of control over the thing generally, his privacy and everything else. So so basically, like they come off this giant global tour. He has everything he ever wants, and his response is, I'm going to go out and buy a house with this money that I just earned. I will tell no one where this house is. And I'll start writing some of the darkest, most depressing material ever. And then I'm going to show up one day and just say, like, let's see what this does. Let's see. Let's see how we how we do with this. That's yeah. And and it's great. It's great for you. I was I, so I, I was listening to this record this weekend while I was studying and I, I was walking to and from the coffee shop and it was kind of drizzly out. But I live pretty close by. So it was a short walk. And uh, so I, I always give people a hard time for talking about records and stuff whenever I know that they're using like Bluetooth speakers and our wireless headphones, you know, it's like, come on, dude. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can't talk about how into analog you are. Uh, if you're going to digitize the sound. Right. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, anyway, I was listening to this on my AirPods <laughs> while I was walking. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like you can walk around with a vinyl, you know, you can't walk around with a turntable just on your back. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta use what you got. Yeah, right. I know, I know, but but uh, I, it's I I real I was thinking about the recording. It's such an it's it sounds so analog. Yes, it's you know, four tracks and and it's it's not a lot of takes and it's a bad recording. <laughs> I mean, it's a great and iconic recording. It's not pro quality. You're not wrong. I mean, that was and that was my initial reaction to this album, which was like, this sounds bad. You know, like the very first time I ever heard this album, I thought this can't be this can't be what he wanted people to hear. You know, I thought it was just like, say what? Exactly what he wanted people to hear. That's, that was so wild to me. Cause like when I first started listening to Bruce Springsteen, I started just like consuming everything. This album absolutely confounded me. Like, because exactly that, like this doesn't sound good. Like I don't enjoy listening to this at all. Everything else sounds really clear and good and well put together. And I'm listening to this on, like you said, like good, like sound equipment. And it sounds bad and i i had the hardest time sort of getting into it and before you start sending emails i turn around on this all right so but but my my initial like face value reaction to this was like i don't like this at all i've since come around in a big way but exactly what you just said which was like this this is the most analog thing i've ever heard and i don't know if i like it you know yeah it's a super interesting turn and it's one that is is it's brave because I mean I think most everybody had to. I'm a I'm an audiophile who loves sad music and lo-fi recordings, and I it's you know it, I it, I didn't love it the first time I heard it. Yeah, and those are some of my favorite records are the ones that I really don't like, and then I I give it another chance, and I I you know and I like it more and more and more and more and more and more and more. So. And this was I think this was pitched as when when it was determined that the album would be released as a as, as just a collection of demos. I think it was sort of, I think Columbia agreed to do it, first of all, because Bruce has a lot of goodwill off of the river, but also I think there was um, a sort of like 
agreement, I don't know if spoken or unspoken, that Bruce would not tour to promote this album and he would just sort of release it quietly as a passion project and then get back to work with like a big studio rock album. You know, yeah. So because he didn't tour, and I don't, I don't know that Columbia. I mean, and I don't think it. It didn't cost them much to produce it, obviously, because Bruce is doing all the work himself. Like he produces it himself. He he plays every instrument. There's like, I think I think the, the the rest of the personnel here is negligible. It, um, I'm trying. I'm even. I'm looking through here. The other personnel. It's Mike Batlin, who's the recording engineer, who I, I assume just like went in and fiddled with the sound and then Dennis King who did the mastering and that's it. So it was just like literally yeah. it took three people to make this entire album. And so they put it out and I think Columbia was just like, all right, we'll, we'll throw a cover on it. We'll put it in some record stores. Fine. And then we'll keep Bruce Springsteen happy and then he'll get back to work, you know? And, um, and it did ultimately it did reach, it, it has been certified platinum in the U S it's, it's sold, which means it sold over a million copies. Yeah. Um, and it reached number three on the U S billboard charts, which is pretty incredible for what this is. You know, I yeah, mean, it, it's it, very incredible for what this is. Yeah, I mean, it didn't hit number one, but I mean, an album like this shouldn't have even cracked the top ten. You know, and and then it hit number three and ultimately went platinum. I mean, just that tells you like how much goodwill Bruce had in the zeitgeist and how much people were responding to this material. Yeah, because we're going to talk on the bonus episode about acoustic and lo-fi recordings, our favorites. Yes, and uh, and looking at at uh, a lot of other people's lists, the recordings that are most widely regarded on those lists are bands that are sort of like indie darlings and and or or you know cool cool projects by already famous artists you know like a MTV unplugged or something yeah or like but, or like uh, a debut album by a band but, who doesn't have a lot of finances yet you know like they had to make a cheap yeah, album because that's all they could afford but like the uh none of them none of them touch anywhere near as many people as this record no that's right which is the impressive thing is like I, there's some some of them on my list are some of the the most well regarded albums ever made, right? And none of them get anywhere near album sales as Nebraska. Yeah, well, and I mean, we talked with Jennifer Knapp several years ago uh, specifically about this album, and she yeah. she pointed out rightly like every musician wants to have it in them to make this album to make their own version of Nebraska, but nobody's ever going to again. And, and the reason, I mean, there's lots of reasons. One is because like digital has sort of like killed, like it, it would feel manufactured. Like if anybody did this now, it would feel forced, you know, like, yeah, but, but also just there, there, there is something, there is a cachet that Bruce Springsteen Were you about had. to say digital killed the radio star? <laughs> digital killed the four track recorder. I don't know if that's quite as catchy. Yeah. Um, digital killed the video star. Yeah. But I mean, even like Bruce has gone back in and, and made other stuff at his house and it sounds amazing. You know, like it doesn't sound like this. It sounds, it sounds more like something that was made in a professional studio. One reason is because like everybody, like even I can afford better recording equipment than what Bruce's Bruce used on, on this. Yeah. Album. What do you use? The task cam? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with four track. I'm sitting here with a, with, with a Yeti microphone and a, you know, garage band on my computer that, I mean, that's technically better equipment than what Bruce used to make this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've got a, I got a Scarlet Pre with two tracks, but I also have a digital interface with, like, unlimited tracks. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think, honestly, my piano, I think, has more recording capabilities than the recording that he used, like, the thing he recorded on. I mean, shoot, most iPads. I think I, think I can plug more tracks into, yeah, I, you, well, you can't put as many in live on an iPad. You can only really do one. Hmm. But it records a better sound. Yeah. Well, uh, more professional sound. Maybe. That's 
(laughs) And more digital sound. It records a much more digital sound. (laughs) Right. But to your point, like what you were saying before, is like for somehow this album, this album has a reach and a depth that whether or not other artists have tried to do this or were just sort of forced to do it based on their, their current circumstances, like no one ever really did this before or since. I know, I don't think. And it's possible. I mean, I, I don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything, but but I mean, I, I could not think of anything, you know, to, to compare to this album. Yeah, nobody rides the success of an arena rock tour and uh, like a multi-platinum record into a this you know, or like I guess three multi-platinum records in a row. Yeah, and I mean you can in, make this. You can make the argument that Bob Dylan sort of went on a similar journey as he like continued to change his sound and continued to like very intentionally like deviate from what people expected from him. But even then, it was like with Bob Dylan, I think it was more a stunt and less of a, a passion project. You know what I mean? Like I think a lot of like with he's already sort of doing something. You know, like Bob Dylan, as you know, as as like mainstream as he is, he wasn't doing a mainstream thing. Yeah, I yeah, I, I have a hard time because you can't like you said you can't think of an arena rap like like ACDC never made their acoustic record you know right or, Let, or like Led Zeppelin's isn't good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, like is, is Led successful. Zeppelin three technically considered an acoustic record? Uh, maybe because when I I, I went look I don't know and that this is a bonus. Uh, bonus episode conversation, but but yeah, I mean to your point, like Nebraska is a singular thing. Like it's it even like even coming up with a good top five list was difficult because like there there is no other thing that is this anyway. So um, getting into sort of what this is like the theme of it all in in 1984, uh, Bruce told Rolling Stone magazine. I think Kurt Loder was actually the interviewer, but he told Rolling Stone magazine. He says Nebraska. I'm not going to – I wanted to go into Nebraska. Nebraska <laughs> Nebraska was about American isolation. What happens to people when they're alienated from their friends and their community and their government and their job? Because those, those are the things that keep you sane, that give meaning to life in some fashion. And if they slip away and you start to exist in some void where the basic constraints of society are a joke, then life becomes kind of a joke and anything can happen. So Bruce was in a dark – this is – this is when he's promoting Born in the USA, it, but but he says that, and so he's he's describing Nebraska in the interview, and basically saying like, imagine imagine all the things that you find security in going away, and what would your life look like, and how would you feel about your circumstances at that moment? And he's like, that's the place where I wrote this album from, which again kind of speaks to the sort of the singularity of it, which is like that's the kind of thing that somebody writes before they become a success. You know, like yeah. the, the first album is, is, is the one about like how I can't succeed or like darkness on the edge of town. Like I like the imminent or just like the unbelievable, undeniable struggle of it all. Like Bruce has never been more successful in his life. And that's when he like visits this very dark place. In, in fact, uh, later on in 2010, he, he told, he tells Brian Hyatt, he says also for Rolling Stone magazine, Bruce only talks to Rolling Stone magazine, but he's, he yes. says, I'm an alienated person by nature, always have been, still am to this day. It continues to be an issue in my life in that I'm always coming from the outside. I'm always trying to overcome my own internal reticence and alienation, which is funny because I throw myself the opposite way on stage. But the reason I do that is because while the stage and all those people are out there, the abyss is under my heels, and I always feel it back there. You can't write something like Nebraska without having at least had a taste of the abyss. Dang. So... Um, so basically, yeah. just like as as happy and joyous as my concerts are, somewhere very nearby, there is an abyss, and I'm in it. And that's where this album was born. 
So like it's it is in the midst of his success that he looks into the abyss, and we learn later, like having read his autobiography, like oh, it's because he's struggled with depression his whole life, and that's you know th- th- that this is sort of an out- outgrowth of that. Um, but that that makes a lot of sense out of where this album came from. I love the you were mentioning he kept coming back to this even though he's like being interviewed for other records. <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite thing that an artist can do. <laughs> I know. Well, and I have to. I have to, I have to think that at, at the very least, like Kurt Loder must have asked him, like, "Hey, talk to me about <laughs> talk to me about Nebraska while we're here." But yeah, I, I mean, I love yeah. the idea that maybe he didn't. Maybe he was like, "So, how many cities are you going on <laughs> on this big tour?" I look into the abyss, and all I see it, is Nebraska <laughs> is is a empty place. Society is a joke, and life is a society joke. is a joke. It's like uh, Andy Kaufman or like a Pete Davidson interview <laughs> where they just keep redirecting into whatever they're thinking about at the moment. I love it. I think it's so funny whenever an artist is like just they have something on their mind and that's all they're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, yeah. You got to love the commitment to that. Also, I, I can imagine he was excited to talk about Nebraska, you know, since he didn't yeah. really tour or like do much promotion for it. So, um, in fact, he did a lot of songs from Nebraska on the Born in the USA tour because they he'd never done those songs before, so it was I'm right. sure he was excited to kind of bring them out. Uh, well, speaking of the songs, do you want to get into the track by track? Oh, for sure. Let's do it, man. Let's uh, let's put the put the record down. Side one, track one, Nebraska. I saw her standing on her front lawn, just a twirling her baton. Me and her This is the title song. This is it. Yeah. So this song is based on the life of Charles Starkweather. Uh, and, at, and Charles Starkweather, famous serial killer, uh, and he, after Bruce watched Terrence Malick's movie uh, from 1973, Badlands, he kind of put this song together. In fact, the opening scene of the song is the same as the opening scene from the movie, which is the girl on, on her front lawn twirling her baton. Yes. And uh, so this song is about nihilism, <laughs> which is a pretty good introduction <laughs> to the theme of the record. Darkness, despair, so, the, the abyss, you know. Yes. People love this song. It's such a good song. I remember we gave it straight fours. I think people were surprised that we didn't go all the way to five on this one. I Yeah, when I went back, I was a little, I kind of was surprised that one of us hadn't. Because I've just spent so much more time with it since then. Are you like, if we were doing that episode today, would you put a five on it? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not here to reorganize songs, rewrite songs. Right <laughs> Is now. that too much work? That's, that's, that's <laughs> not what this. Okay, that's that's a whole other part of the year, man. I don't have to think about that until December. Oh, that's a good point. That's good. I don't you even know? know that we need to do that in December anymore. Well. I think that there should always be it's like open enrollment for your insurance. <laughs> like, you can always do that. The books know? are never closed. There's always there's always room on the on the the Hall of Fame list for one more song. Yeah. There's always room for Nebraska. Yeah, we can update that. Uh, well, I mean, even if you do, I'm I'm still a four. I'm I'm probably not gonna upgrade this one. I mean I I like it. Wait, I, no, I gave it a five, didn't I? I I don't have you here as a five, but I mean, I could be wrong. Um it wouldn't be the first time, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll give it a five. Oh, well, congratulations. You already gave it a five. Well, never mind then. I'm still a four, though, so the uh, the Hall of Fame I'm is still, closed. I was surprised that you didn't give it a five. I, which is funny, because like, I gave a lot of... like I'm pretty high. I think I'm... Overall, I think by average, I think I'm higher on this album than you are. But but yeah, I think you, you rated Nebraska, the song, higher than me. 
I've got four. I've got five fives, and you've got four fives. You have, but five, have five fives from this I, album. I have a three on this album. Oh, that's why I was like, "Why is your average lower than mine?" But that's why. Okay. Yeah. So, so tell me what you love about the song. Ah, uh, man, it just sets the mood. You it, know, it, de- it definitely sets the mood. I mean, this is quite an opening track. Yeah, just the opening uh, harmonica. You know, it's like the inhale on it is so, or the that exhale on it is like so sad. You yeah. know, and then it takes a he takes a breath. You know, it's not like he's playing in and out. It's like that. In between exhales, he like takes a breath through the harmonica. Uh, it's great. Yeah, he does. Yeah, th- I mean, I, I don't really know what else to say other than like, yeah, like you, this is this is him setting the mood. This is him telling you like, okay, we're like, the, and Bruce has always been great about that. Like the first the first track of an album has always been Bruce's specialty. Like this is, I'm gonna set the table. I'm gonna introduce you to the world, and we're just gonna kind of move through it at our own pace. And he always yeah. does that. He always does that very effectively. And this is one of those, like, you, you hear the first track, and you're either in or you're not. You know what I mean? Like, this is a song about a serial killer who goes to the electric chair. Like, it, it does not get darker than that. Yeah. And, he, and it's, well, he sings part of it in first person. You know? Like, I'm not gonna, like he's like, I'm not going to hold back here. I'm, I'm going to take us all the way to the abyss. It's heavy. Yeah, it is, it is quite heavy. I mean, and... It's funny because then we move into track two, Atlantic City. Blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. Now they blew up his house too. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state and the DA can't. And this song is not as heavy. I mean, it's thematically, you could argue it's. It's close. It's like adjacent to how heavy. But I think it's, it's not just nearly as heavy, as heavy, but it's a little more upbeat, like musically. It's, well, yeah, it, it's got a. It, it's fast paced. It has a chorus. I don't think that Atlantic City is necessarily not a super sad song. It's just after Nebraska on the record. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's he's literally point. like moaning in the background. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's put, a very it, sad song. It's just after Nebraska. You can you put know? any song after Nebraska and be like, well, it's kind of upbeat. <laughs> yeah, the chorus is everything dies, baby. Now that's a fact. <laughs> but everything that dies, one day comes back. Someday comes back, yeah. Or maybe, maybe everything yeah, that dies. But then like also it's about like a city that can't, that can't get its regulations right and a, and a mafia man that dies. Yeah. He's murdered. He's blown up. Yeah, the chicken man. Uh, yeah. So it deals with crime. It deals with gambling. Person's desire to get a piece of success for himself. And it's one of those, yet another one it of those songs. deals with makeup? Say what? It deals with makeup? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Hair? You don't forget the central themes of this song. <laughs> Obviously. But, but yeah, so, I mean, and this is... I find this one, this is sort of closely related to, like, meeting across the river, which is sort of, like, somebody who's about to go out and engage in perhaps a world that is probably too much for them and it's going to probably cost them a lot you know as you uh put it and i've since repeated it uh multiple times to other people do crimes yeah we're gonna go do some crimes this guy's about to go do hey brother you want to do some crimes yeah and also and we'll get to this when we get to it way way down the line but it, it also sort of reminds me of um easy money 
you know, like yeah. like he's got a plan. There's a girl. We're gonna go get some money. We're gonna roll some suckers, and then we're gonna we're, we're gonna party out. Or we're gonna meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Or you know, um, and I, I don't I, know if I, I've ever mentioned that on this podcast, but I consider Easy Money, and always have considered Easy Money, like the spiritual sequel to Atlantic City. I think that's right. I I, I think there's a lot to be said for that because because they are sort of and dealing I, with sim- similar ideas. I think that's why I rate Easy Money so high. <laughs> you know, like. I think it is. I think it means more to me. I think it's a sequel. You know, it's just like on its own. It's like it's all right. You know, but it's number two. You know, it's Godfather number two. It's great. I've been watching Godfather two lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it takes me a while to get through. It. I was just thinking. Uh, yeah, me too, man. I do like a rewatch every decade, but I do it throughout <laughs> the decade. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, but I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, I wish I don't know how Rob watches so many movies. Like, I wish I could watch that many movies. I, I do don't know pieces. how to do it. You got to do it in pieces when you have three kids. And yeah, that's and, they, and they come I've, in I've in the middle of your like podcast. A half a movie a week. Say what? <laughs> I've been doing like a half a movie a week. Yeah. That, well, and when it's Godfather Two, which is three and a half hours long, so people people spend a lot of time complaining about the length of The Irishman. Godfather Two is every minute as long as the Irishman is. I mean, and granted, Godfather 2 is a masterpiece, and people have various thoughts about the Irishman. I, I like the Irishman a lot. But, like, man, you, you, if you like Godfather 2, don't sit here and complain about the Irishman's length, you know, because Godfather 2 is very long, right. and much of it is in subtitles. And uh, it is... But it's great. It's a journey, man. And I, I've been watching about 30 minutes of it a day for about a week now. <laughs> and I'm almost done. It's like getting through a good I'm book. Watching it as if it's the comedy. Yeah, like like, like it's a TV. Like I'm, I watch it like I watch Russian Doll. I just watch it for a little <laughs> while and then I go back to it whenever I get a chance. That's right. And it's probably about the same length. Anyway, what were we talking about? Atlantic City. Well, now we're talking about Mansion and Hill. I think. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah, let's, let's jump over. Well, I mean, we didn't mention. I, I feel like we got to give Atlantic City. It's due. Atlantic City is a great song. This, to me, this is the best song on the album. It is Hall of Fame song. Hall of Fame covered song. by the like the band. It's, people covered it that are like very famous people have covered this song. people have covered this song so much that a lot of people do not realize that this is a bruce springsteen song my dad thought it was a band song and he argued with i don't know it's like are you gonna argue with me about this <laughs> that's really funny especially considering like how much your dad knows about music i know right and especially music from like 1982 right <laughs> yeah like that's my dad's wheelhouse i remember sitting in the shed i'm in now before we had finished it we were working on it and like the band cover came on no 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 this uh, bluegrass cover that he loves of the song came on. And he goes, oh, Atlantic City. That's the band song. And I said, no, it's a Springsteen song. And he goes, no, Bruce covered it. And I was like, dude, are you, you do not want to argue with me about this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, or, look, we can argue about it, or you can put some money on it. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I think I got, like, some whiskey that night or a cigar or something. I think we bet, you know, something, and, and I ended up having to buy me some whiskey. But that... I mean that's a bad bet for for your dad, but like that yeah. it, it's amazing to me. Like that, it, like this, blinded by the light, pink Cadillac, because of the night fire. There's like so many songs out there that are Bruce Springsteen songs that I think a lot of people just in the public consciousness do not realize that they're Bruce Springsteen songs. And I think this is one of them. A lot of I think a lot of people assume that this song is is by the band, like yeah. your dad, like my dad. But uh, I love this song. I got to, this song was on my my Bruce Springsteen set list my set lusting Bruce list uh, for a long time. And then when I went to see him in Jersey in 2016, I got it like he did it. And I was super stoked about it. It was, it's so, I, 
This is one of those songs, to me, this is what Electric Nebraska, this is a justification for why we need to hear Electric Nebraska, because, man, when the East Street Band does this song, it is so good. Yeah, man, 100%. But it does, going back to the theme of it all, it does deal with the abyss. It is. It has a very fatalistic, I don't know if I'd go so far as nihilistic, because it does have the maybe everything that dies someday comes back, but but it does it, it does look into the darkness in a very yeah. real way. Um Gazes but, into the darkness. Very much so. But then, as you mentioned before, we move to track three, which is Mansion on the Hill. There's a place out on the edge of town, sir, rising above the factories and the fields. I have since I was a child, I can remember. Also a great song. Uh, this, you know, we got the harmonica, that really somber harmonica back on this one. Uh-huh. He's doing a really nice, like, sort of, uh, sort of like arpeggiated finger picking out some chords um, on the acoustic. It's just, and he's just singing. It's, I'm almost surprised he got this vocal performance on that recorder. It just feels like it has so much reverb on it. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like who to compare it to because it, it does sort of harken back to I, I want to say like a Woody Guthrie kind of thing, but just like yeah. in, in terms of the vocal performance and the recording quality of it all. But it is oddly tender, you know, especially for this album. Yeah, you know, like and at face yeah. value, you you could be like, well, this doesn't feel on theme, it, although it does, and we'll get to why. But but at, at face value, it sounds like he's just sort of having like this very tender memory about him and his dad you know, driving around and imagining a better life. But, and I've seen him do this twice and he has like these stories that he tells. And I, I saw him, I've seen him do it two times. The two times I saw him in New Jersey, he did it both times. And he always tells the same story about how like they would drive and they'd go out for ice cream and they'd see like this big tower with these red lights. And his dad, would, it was nighttime. And his dad would always say like the red lights were the, the buttons on the coat of a giant. And like, he's got this whole mythology that he builds around the song. But really what the song is about is about, I mean, yeah, it's about looking through a window and imagining that you live inside the mansion, but also sort of like the subtext of it is the resignation that you won't ever live in the mansion, you know? And like you will spend your life on the outside, like out in the cold, and the people inside the mansion are happier than you are. And of course, the irony is Bruce like now totally lives in a mansion on the hill or a horse ranch on the hill, as it were. But he, um, that, and also again, like he wrote the song after receiving the most amount of success. So it's almost like he doesn't trust his own success or like even the success will not shelter him from the darkness and the trauma of having grown up with the struggles that he did. And, and like, you know, oh, go ahead. I wrote a story about a kid who won the Truman scholarship um, or not. It was named a finalist this week. And he talked about, it was funny. I was interviewing him for this, this story and he said, you know, I wasn't going to apply. I didn't think my story mattered that much. And, and then I, I had a teacher talk to me. You know, we were on this trip in California, and she convinced me I should apply. And uh, I was like, oh, what was the trip? And he goes, oh, um, I was asked to speak at a conference about um, about uh, a conference for minority students in honors colleges to speak about um, imposter syndrome. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, and you were worried that your story didn't matter enough to apply for the Truman Scholarship? And he goes, oh. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And like, that's kind of, I feel like that's a little bit about like, that's kind of what this is 
that's what this song is, but that's kind of what this record might be a little bit too. You know, that that is a fascinating observation that that this that this whole album might be an expression of Bruce's imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, uh, I hadn't really thought about it until thinking about that interview, with Josh. I had never thought about it before, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that, because you're right. Like every time he it's talks like every, about that a lot, you know. Yes, very much so. Well, and it explains why he makes what what looks like commercially very strange moves. Like he does not do the things that a person who's deeply opportunistic would do. You know, like he and it is almost like he's reacting against every time he gets success. He it, either either he conf- he's confronted by like a major obstacle or he becomes his own major obstacle, you know? Yeah. Um, and we'll see this all over. Like, this is why going through the discography is going to be, I think, very interesting because you, you do sort of see him making very unusual moves. I, I, I can only imagine how frustrated record executives must have been with him, you know, during his oh, entire career. Yeah, I cannot imagine. But they got it, you know, they stick with, you stick with a guy like this because he puts out a Nebraska and you're like, whatever, and eventually it makes its money. But also, like, look what it does next. You know, yeah, it's worth it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you you have he to. You could have stopped six Nebraskas in between, and, and you know, <laughs> they still would have gotten their money back and a million times over. Yeah. Well, and you also see back back going back to the darkness on the edge of town discussion, which is where you know he did born born to run. He has a massive success, and then he has three years where he can't record, and he's he's talked about how like the thought running through his head is. What if everybody who's saying that I was a, a flash in the pan, like one time success, what if they're right? What if they're, what if everyone who's saying I don't have what it takes to continue in this life, what if they're all right? And I think yeah. he's always, even now, like you watch like the Western Stars documentary or you like read his, his book and you, you got to think there's a part of him that's like, he's still, I, th- I think he still doesn't know. I think he's still, there's a part of him that wonders if he like faked his way through this whole thing, if he didn't really deserve yeah. what he got, you know? Hundred percent, and I, I think mean, he's pretty open and honest about that too. Yeah, well, and in the Broadway show, he he articulates as much. That's why he calls it his magic trick because he he feels disingenuous yeah. when he's performing. You know, well, Even, he talks about it a lot too when he talks about like uh, how he didn't have to serve in Vietnam and other people did, and it, like some like that. There's the same number of people served. Someone else served for him. You know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So like the survivor's guilt on top of the uh, imposter syndrome. So he's carrying a, around yeah. a lot of baggage. Yeah, and it's all sort of manifested. I think you hear a lot of that. A lot of that. You hear a lot of that come to the fore in this record. I think you're right. I think you're. Abs- I think that's a really good observation about that. And and yeah. So yeah, th- I'm this- glad that uh, <laughs> this, none of this is in my notes. It's been, none of this is in my notes. I've just been thinking about it all day. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what this record does. Oh, oh, it, it evokes those kinds of yeah. thoughts, you know. So yeah. So yeah. you got Mansion on the Hill, which again is is looking into sort of the 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 abyss of like, what if I never achieve like what if, like it's almost like factory a little bit like what if i never rise above the station that my father is in and then yeah. that moves into so that goes that so you got a little bit of resignation and like or not even resignation just sort of like this list wistful like what if it could be better and what what would my life be like and then it just goes directly into anger with johnny 99 This is an interesting move, right? Like Mansion on the Hill into Johnny Marinette. Say what? Yeah. Love the way this song starts. Me too. Tell me about why you love it. It's so, 
it's kind of haunting and it comes off of that mansion on a hill you know so it kind of catches you off guard but it's not too loud it's not louder it's not like abrasive it, it, it kind of scares you at first you're like what's wrong what something's wrong you don't have to when you hear a weird noise in your house yeah not a loud noise not it's not a robber it's something else you know what is it is it a spirit that would be worse than a robber you know like <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that it's kind of that situation yeah um uh, yeah, and and it's great. It makes it. I don't know. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, it, this is this is one of the more up tempo. It's it's bluesy. It's it's one that translates really well in in the live shows. And in in fact, in the live shows, it comes off as a lot more joyful than the song really probably needs to be, because it's yeah. about you know it's about a guy who is pretty much by his circumstance he's like basically like pushed to his limits and he's forced basically by his own like he kind of snaps and he starts committing crimes and uh and he goes with crimes yeah he's doing some crime again a guy doing some crimes and uh, here you see a phrase that shows up twice in this album the other time is in atlantic city where he says i had debts that no honest man could pay yeah yeah that line and we've spent a lot of time on that line for sure well and i mean that's that gets at sort of this idea like which which is the theme of of the record when he when bruce talks about like what what happens when the things you rely on, your friends, your community, your government, your job, what, what happens when those are gone? And yeah. then it's like, oh, well, then it's chaos. It's anarchy. And you just have to do whatever you can. And Johnny 99 is a guy who lives inside that reality. Yeah. It's weird that this song, this is the song that like has some of the most, probably the most joyful musical moments, you know, on well, the whole record. Like the, the howling at the end. Yeah. And the on the acoustic guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's funny. I, I love you're talking about all the musicality because like there's no production here at all. Like th- this is because I remember even when we were doing each of these individual episodes, we'd have like a segment yeah. where, where we talk about the lyrics and a segment where we talk about the music. And it's the music like, hey, what about the music? Well, there's a guitar and there's a harmonica. You'd be like, what? You'd be like, what's here? And I'd be like, well, there's four things. I hear a guitar. There's a guitar. There's a harmonica. There's vocals. And there are uh, a couple of harmonies. And there's a couple of times where he goes. And that's it. He does a lot of really small, specific things musically, and that's what. And each song just sort of has one, you know. Yeah, yeah the the one like flair that he does. Yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, that's what makes it what it is. And, and I think that's. It, it just shows that like he knows there has to. It's even as stripped down as it goes, he knows there has to be something, you know. Yeah. Beyond the lyrics and beyond the melody, there has to be something. And so in this song, it's the it's the howls and it's the ba doo 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 doos. Yeah. It's a little, the, little chord run, a little pentatonic run. Yeah. And it's, uh, theme, and again, thematically, like, this is, I think this is one of the truest critiques of America. Not just then, but now. You know, like, this, the idea that crime is not always the thing that a person chooses. It's, it's there are social conditions that give people an impossible choice, which is either live outside of the law or starve to death. You know, like, this is a real choice that, that people have to live in. Say what? You don't, are you telling me that you don't choose crime? crime chooses you well uh sorry you were being very serious <laughs> i will say it was more than I, f- I forget the line something put that gun in my hand oh yeah it was it was uh uh we have to look it up now yeah i had yeah. I, I i meant to have the liner notes in front of me and i just I, yeah. they're they're out of reach oh here we go but it was more that was more than all this <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> I got debts so I wanted to make a pay. The bank was holding my mortgage. They were taking my house away. Now I ain't saying this makes me an innocent man, but it was more than all this that put that gun in my hand. Yeah, which I th- I think I mean that that was that was a poignant critique in 1982, and in t- 2020, I don't think it's any less poignant. I, th- I think that continues to be a, 
a critique. And I mean, you know, you read stories about about people who grew up in certain conditions and people who struggled and people who have ended up in the criminal justice system. And a lot of times it's a story about like, well, where else were they going to end up? You know what I mean? Like they're like, yeah. they had no choice. They were, they were put in a, in an impossible situation and it was either start to death or enter into this or, or live outside the law. Or sometimes it was like, I either have to live outside the law or I will die or I will die violently. You know, like it became like, a, this is the only way yeah. I can survive in, in the conditions that I find myself in. So, so Johnny nine, nine, nine. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's a really poignant critique. Mississippi today and Anna Wolf, the reporter there are doing some incredible reporting on, um, a situation right now where there are people who uh, aren't getting the assistance they need and they qualify for, you know, who have their lights turned off in Hattiesburg right, right now. And um, and that's because the uh, this welfare group gave up like the state basically gave a politically connected nonprofit nearly sixty five million dollars in welfare money. Oh, my gosh. That was redirected to five million dollars went to build a volleyball stadium at Southern Miss. Uh, a couple million bucks went to um, pay for the rehab bills of Jake the Snake Roberts, maybe? Just what the people of Mississippi really needed the most. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It was not Jake the Snake Roberts. It was Ted DiBiase Sr., <laughs> the million-dollar man. Uh, Mississippi, <laughs> Mississippi gave $2 million in welfare money. To Ted DiBiase's uh, welfare, wrestle, his group. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, dude, and these people, this is this is $65 million is supposed to go to people in one of the poorest states in the country so that they can um, freaking have their uh, lights turned on mm. uh, and that they qualify for it. In a state that it's hard to qualify for welfare in, like... <laughs> A state that notoriously treats its poor people poorly. <laughs> Yikes. And, uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So this song is uh, pretty outdated, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Too bad. Too bad we've, uh, as a society, we've advanced so far beyond the yeah. the complaints of Johnny 99. Um, right. Well, and then the next track, track five, we move into Highway Patrolman. My name is Joe Roberts. I work for the state I'm a sergeant out of Burnville Barracks number eight I always done an honest job As honest as I could I got a brother named Frankie And Frankie ain't no good I love this song. This is one of my favorite. You after, do love this song. After Nebraska, this is my favorite song on this record. This is a great song. And I, 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 my I feel favorite, like this is probably going to make a pretty pretty solid appearance on your top 100 list. It Definitely. It's it's up there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I, I think the thing, the version of this song that I most love is the the one from Live from Dublin when he's touring with the Sessions Band. That is yes. a, such a good version of this song. It's po- possibly the single most compelling narrative on this album. So much so that... This is the only song on this album that I know of that someone like straight up bought the rights to the song and made a movie out of it. And it, it was the movie was The Indian Runner, directed by Sean Penn in 1991. And in fact, um, there was an interview I, I forget exactly who it was with. Let's say it was Rolling Stone, where uh, Bruce said somebody asked like Bruce like, "Hey, how come you don't write screenplays? Like these these are great movies." Like, 
And he said, yeah. well, the thing is, I'm, the thing I'm really good at is taking like these big, complex narratives and condensing them into three minute songs. So right. I, I don't know how to make stories shorter. I know how to ma- or I don't know how to make stories longer. I know how to make them shorter. And if you want to do a screenplay, they got to be longer. So uh, which I think that's a, that's an astute observation, which I think is one of the things that proves that Bruce Springsteen is a genius is that he can tell us these incredibly deep, complex, very personal, moving stories in under four minutes. And like they they mean just as much as any mo- like quite frankly the song Highway Patrolman is way better than the movie The Indian Runner, and um, and it's the same exact story but Highway Patrolman gets to it so much more um, economically, you know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's just story about two brothers, Joe Roberts and his brother. Um, shoot, man, I'm having all kinds of brain problems tonight. Um, uh, Frankie. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Frankie, Frank, yeah. Frankie ain't no Joe man. Roberts is a sergeant out in uh, Perenville. 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 Barracks number eight. Um, so, so yeah, so it's it's these two brothers. One One's a cop. One's uh, a, a veteran who comes home and is uh, kind of lives on the outside of the law, not unlike Johnny 99. And he, he goes to a bar one night. He, com- he, he does a crime. He busts like, a guy's head open. Scrubs. And uh, and Joe Roberts, who's always done an honest job, lets Frankie cross uh, the the Canada line and doesn't stop him. So he lets his brother get That's away right. with possibly committing murder. So, so yeah, th- I mean, it's, this is a, a really beautiful and and of course the the chorus, which is beautiful. It's you know me and Frankie laughing and drinking. Nothing feels better than blood on blood, and just sort of like again going back to the thing that you hold on to, which is family. But what happens when family isn't the thing that you need it to be, and what happens if family is isn't what you expect it to be and, and and want it to be and how hard do you continue to pursue that and at what point do you lose part of yourself grasping for that like Joe Roberts has to let part of himself leave when Frankie leaves because if Joe Roberts is who Joe Roberts believes he is he's got to bring Frankie in but when it's your brother you just look the other way and it's you know it, it goes back into that sort of like yeah the abyss when you look into the abyss you find that the people that you most count on Sometimes break your heart. So then we move into State Trooper. New Jersey Turnpike. Neath the refining school. Out where the great black rivers pull. License registration. I got none. Which is, in most states, the same thing as a highway patrolman. I was going to say, these two songs sit next to each other, and they're both the name of a, a law enforcement job that exists on the highway. I always, for, I always get these mixed up, and I was just looking at the track list, and for some reason in my head, they're not on the same... Are they on different sides of the record, maybe? No, this is... Uh, this is one and two of side B? Th- th- no, this is five and six of, of side one. Oh. They're right so next I- to each other on the first side. So State Trooper is the last track. So this is this is right before the the needle finishes the spin. That's right on the first side. Because I I always kind of get them confused name wise because they're the same thing. And I I covered Highway Patrolman and State Troopers for a long. I wrote about them for a long time. Yeah. So uh, it always confuses me a little bit. I mean they're they're very different songs. I love State Trooper. It's it's uh it's spooky. Yeah, and I I think probably. I mean, I don't want to tell Bruce Springsteen how to do his job, but I, I would say, like, probably renaming Highway Patrolman probably would have been a good idea just to avoid any kind of confusion on the record. Yeah, Blood on Blood. Yeah, Blood on Blood, me and Frankie. Um, me and Frankie. Yeah. 
I don't know. It could have been anything. Um, my name's Joe yeah. Roberts. It could have just been called that. Who knows? But um, sure, anyway, so, but yeah, so you got State Trooper and you were saying like you really like the song. Yeah, it's spooky, dude. It it feel this song feels like you're driving in the middle of the night on a deserted highway. It, it actually I don't, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers movie. Uh, no, it's one of the it's one of the like two that I haven't seen. The opening credits of that movie feel like this song. It's just it is pitch black night, headlights, white lines uh, like going underneath a car, and that's it. And that's what this song feels. Yeah, this song feels like the album cover of this album. I gotta tell you, uh, this song is based on a song by one of your favorite bands, To Hate, Suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to speak ill of the dead. Yeah, you spoke ill of the dead like that day. Last, I didn't last know. Time we mentioned them. <laughs> he died like a week after we finished recording that. We just happened to also release that out. That's that episode within like 48 <laughs> hours of when the guy died. It's bad time. Felt, yeah. So, I like suicide. I'm on the record being a suicide fan. Hey, I'm on the record of not being one. The band. Right. I like the band suicide. Right. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. So so this song is is just about a guy who is driving and he's up to no good and uh, there's a state trooper behind him and he is praying that he the tr- state trooper doesn't stop him. And who yeah. knows what might happen if the state trooper does stop him. So uh, he's almost he's he's almost implying like I don't want to have to hurt you. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's the impl- implication yeah. I get. It's like if this, if this guy gets pulled over, it's bad news for the trooper. Yeah, and it's just like palm mutes and reverb and and like oh oh. That's right. Know. This song, by the way, played over the closing credits of the season one finale of The Sopranos. Yeah, which is perfect. And yeah. for a second, I, when I when I realized that, I was like, oh, how'd they get the rights to? Oh, right, because <laughs> because Stephen Van Zandt was on that show. <laughs> that's how you. I, I can imagine that. That's what David Chase was thinking the whole time. Like, I'm gonna get Stephen Van Zandt to be on my show, and then anytime I want a Bruce Springsteen song, all I got to do is ask, and it totally worked. If I ever like uh, were to do sound design for like a spooky video game, I would just recreate the sort of the turns in the song and make it, you know, like nine minutes long, you know, just like the sort of screams and, and woos and, and palm muted acoustic. Yeah. Like, oh, it's that would so work. spooky. It's it like, is driving. Oh, it's like the other night I saw a, like a, I just saw like a really big Fox or like a thing that I don't believe exists <laughs> on the side of the road, like really late at night in like this uh, sort of, I live sort of in the right where the Appalachia begins and the Delta ends. Uh, it's called the Hill Country. Yep. And so there's like a lot of sort of national forests and state forests around me. And there's the Natchez Trace, which is the longest, narrowest state park. I mean, uh, national park. And and I was driving home from work on one of those roads one night and just, you know, it's like, oh, that was a fox, right? That had to have been a fox. Oh, <laughs> my God. That was a fox. <laughs> you know, like if that wasn't a fox, it was like some cryptid or something you know <laughs> yeah. and i don't believe in this right and like that's what this song feels like that's a good way to yeah it does it feels like something ominous and you know and what terrible. i said what you know what i said whenever i saw that fox i said Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that's very good scared me all right uh well let's flip the vinyl we're going flip to side vinyl. two and scooting right along Track seven on this album, track one on side two, is Used Cars. My little sister's in the front seat with an ice cream cone. My mom's in the back seat sitting all alone. 
steers are slow out of line for a test drive down Michigan. Now I mossed your fingers, her wedding band. And if you thought this album was going to pick up a little bit, boy, let me tell you, it doesn't. Well, not, uh, <laughs> a, not unlike Mansion on the Hill, this is a fantasy, right? It's it's about rising. It's it's a fantasy about rising above your circumstances in a more comfortable life. It's a memory that Bruce has about, or that he at least expresses about going shopping for a car with his family and the realization of like we cannot afford a new car. All we've ever ridden in is used cars. But one day, one day I will succeed, and the dream is I will no longer have to ever ride in a used car. Yeah. And this song features something that nothing else on the record features. And that is like a little suitcase glockenspiel. Mm. It's got some little bells in it. So he's bringing out, uh, he's bringing out the big guns. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think for that reason, it only has, it doesn't have any, any harmonies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this one and the next one are kind of interesting if we're trying to keep the the theme cohesive because this isn't really one of those like abyss songs other than like it is tangentially connected to Mansion on a Hill, which is sort of like the the almost sort of like the undercurrent of despair of we may never rise above our current circumstances, you know. Well, yeah, and like that, what's the difference between being sort of dreaming of something better that you know you can't have? And just and 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 Johnny and the Highway Patrol and the, I mean the State Trooper and, and Frankie is like it's just saying you know it's grit or it's just those two words you know yeah. the difference between saying I'm never gonna ride in a used car again if I ever get out of here and saying like all right time to get out of here it's grit well it raises the question is a dream alive if it don't come true or is it something worse <laughs> how many times on this podcast have you said well it raises the question <laughs> is a dream alive <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that that is continuously a useful question. I think the river would it's have been true. a good song it, for this album, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It's very, thematically, I think it's, it's very almost like uh, it's almost like and I, I think that since the river's like kind of later in the record, it it, uh, it almost feels like a little bit of a, a prequel. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then uh, the next song is "Open All Night." This song truly thematically does not belong on this album. I mean, it's a good song, but I don't know why it's here. It's the only song on the album with an electric guitar. It's the only one that is in any way lighthearted. And it just sort of, you know, it, it it's just like, got to find a payphone, got to call this girl. You know, when like you say, when you say electric guitar, though, it's like a totally unaffected, super cheap amp situation, you know, like kind of a little out of tune. But it's more I mean, advanced it's, than it's anything else on this record. Way more advanced, like yeah, as far as like electrification of sound. But it also asks a question. <laughs> I'm all set, Cobra Jet, creeping through the nighttime. Yeah, you know, and that's an important <laughs> question too. It, it is. This this song feels like an outtake from the river. This song feels like yeah. it could have with, with a with a big band. It could have just as easily been. You can look better, but you better not touch. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it, Bruce was just like this. We're, we're just we're spending too much time in the darkness. I need something that's a little bit more peppy. Um, but it does sort of break does up say, the theme 
a little bit. Yeah, it does break it up a little bit, which is this is a weird place to decide to break it up. <laughs> like two tracks from the end. Yeah. Yeah. For but sure. it does uh it does end with um Lost Souls calling long distance salvation. Hey Mr. DJ, won't you hear my last prayer? Hey ho, rock and roll, deliver me from nowhere. Which is sort of the one tie is like we are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. In this record. We're just we're just lonely and the only thing connection we have with anyone else is maybe a, a you know, a late night AM radio signal. Well, I mean, and maybe that that is the cohesive part of like motif wise. Like this is like every song on this record, at the very least, the, the the least you could say about it is like they all feel like they're taking place in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere. You know. Yeah. Well, and, and they're scrapping. You know. In oh this yeah. Song. That's true. That's true. Yeah, they're on the road. They got a Texaco roadmap and some fried chicken with grease on it. Yeah. But like, lit, you know, Wanda sitting on his lap, and that's way more connection than anyone in this record's had. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, well, other other than like uh, in Nebraska, when Starkweather and his girlfriend go for a ride, <laughs> you know, like that's, oh yeah, yeah, uh, oh boy. So so yeah, other than right. the serial killer on like this guy's most connected on the on this record. So then we move out of that, and then we go into my father's house. Last night I dreamed that I was a child. Out where the pines grow Wild and tall I was trying to Make it home through the forest Which is another nostalgia song. So we got three nostalgia songs so far. We got Mansion on a Hill, we got Used Cars, and we got My Father's House. And it feels like Bruce has sort of like this unstoppable compulsion to revisit his childhood and to search for new insight and meaning. And we, we talked about this quote a long time ago when we did this song, but I think it's worth revisiting because he he once said on stage before this song, he says, I'd always driven past the old house I used to live in. I got so I would do it regularly two, for two or three, four times a week for years. And I eventually got to wondering, what the hell am I doing? So I went to see a psychiatrist and I sat down and I said, you know, doc, what am I doing? And he says, something bad happened and you're going back thinking you can make it right again. Something went wrong, and you keep going back to see if you can fix it. And I sat there, and I said, that is what I'm doing. And he, the doctor <laughs> said, and the doctor said, well, you can't. And that's yeah. it. That's the end of the story. Like, the that, like, yeah, I keep revisiting this space, thinking, like, something, like, something will click into my head, and I can find a way to, like, go back in time or, do like, mess with the timeline in such a way to where I can make it right again. And the psychiatrist says, you can't do that. That's it, a really special and incredible Bruce Springsteen story. It That's is. like he's he's got this question that needs to be answered, and then the answer's right in front of his face, and he's just like, "Oh, that is the answer." And then he goes, "So what do I do?" And they say, "Nothing. There's nothing you can do, boy." And that's sort of the whole. You know, like there's nothing we can do, but we still got to do something. You know, that's 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 the Bruce Springsteen's call to action. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, talk about looking into the abyss. One of the hardest struggles I think the people have to face is the realization that I cannot change what has already happened. The thing, the things that happened to me that I had no control over, I can't change those things. And the things that I did that I regret, I can't change those things either. And I can't go back. I can't make anything the way it was before. And I can't make myself forget. My, and like trauma is a part of you, of of us. You know, you cannot undo what has been done. And the song is about that. It's, it's about sort of the, the, the terrible realization that that's true. And you can drive by your father's house a million times and you can't change whatever, whatever it was that happened inside there. 
Yeah, my therapist says uh, calls that like this is how it now this is how it is this is how it is now. Uh huh. Yeah. It's like whenever you're trying to grapple with something you know in the past that you can't change when you're just trying to change it. She's like, no, 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 no. this is how it is now. Yeah. You know, you don't like that you're tired today. This is how it is now. You stayed up too late last night. You know, like or yeah. you know whatever. Like, this is how it is. You can you can change you can make it better next time. But but you just have to accept it. This is how it is now. That's I think that's a really useful like kind of reality check yeah like this that once you may have that realization you can you can sort of take next steps and that's as dark as this record is i think this is sort of a a wake-up moment you know yeah and then speaking of wake-up moments uh then the final track the closing track on the record is reason to believe can a man stand or dead dog by the highway ditch Looking down, kind of puzzled, poking that dog with a stick. Got his car door flung open, he's standing out on Highway 31. Like if you stood there long enough, that dog get up and run. This is one of those songs, also, that I think has been covered a lot, and that people don't always recognize that this is a Bruce Springsteen song. This one shows up a lot. In various places, I, I, there are several country and western artists who have covered this song, and it's interesting. I always saw this song as kind of hopeful because it's like you know, no matter what terrible thing happens to you, you find a way to sort of like continue going on. But Bruce doesn't see it that way. Bruce, Bruce once told Dave Marsh about this song. He says that was the bottom, like that's how he describes the song. That was like to Bruce's mind, this is the darkest song on the album, which is incredible if you think about it. Yeah, and the implication being that belief often feels absurd to anyone observing the believer. You know, like. Like and like the opening thing, like man standing over a dead dog by the highway in a ditch. Um, he, he's poking the dog with a stick as if the dog might get up and run. And so, like, basically, the idea of like the guy waiting for his bride to show up on on the wedding day is just as absurd as a guy like looking at a dead dog expecting it to get up and run. Yeah. And so I always sort of saw this song as sort of like the resilience of hope, but that's again, that's not how Bruce sees it. Bruce sees the song as like, look how how absolutely stupid it feels to believe in something that will never come to fruition you know like that's which is very dark like and you could i think you could read the song in both ways and i i tend to sort of in my in my brighter moments i tend to sort of like go looking for like the meaning of it all and like to see it as as a more positive like no we continue we we continue showing up and we continue choosing to believe in something but sometimes it does feel like you're poking a dead dog with a stick you know what i mean yeah well and i think a lot of these people i think hope is great you know, like like uh, family members who think their children are going to be something and keep holding out for it, even though their children are clearly not that. You know, yeah. and, and it's something else, and 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 uh, stuff like that. You know, it's like I, I think the his phrasing of that that last line. You know, it's still at the end of heart, every hard earned day. Some people uh, people find some reason to believe, mm-hmm. and that almost makes me feel like he's talking about hope. But all the people in these examples are like kind of hopeless. You know, it's a dead dog. Yeah. It's, it's a guy a guy is, he doesn't know where his bride is on his wedding day. Don't stand there. You know, she either left you or she's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like hope doesn't fix that. Well, and um, the crowd, the crowds leave and he's like by himself watching the water. Like that's in the sun yeah. as the sun sets. Like, dude, she's not coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, hope, hope gets you so far, but at some point you have to, uh, you know, act i guess yeah 
Maybe that's what this is about. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess that is the tension, sort of like like choosing to be a person who can find some way to live with hope, even when any any amount of faith or belief does feel absurd, like that. Yeah. And and I get that as someone who who lives and works in in the, that realm. You know, I mean, like I've done I've done any number of funerals at this point, and and sat with people in the hospital, and and there does come a point along the, along the way. Like some people lean really really hard into faith in those moments. And that's when like my job becomes useful. But then some people lean way, way away from it and are like, what is the point of all this? And I'm not going to lie, like in my darker moments, I tend to relate more to the latter than the former. And so like it, it does like there, there are moments where faith does feel absurd. And I, I think this song yeah. does a good job of and, and I mean, like like we said, like this song is it's like a Rorschach test. Like you could you would read the song in either way and it works in either way, you know? Yeah. But it, I mean, talk about staring into the abyss. You know, yeah, like, and we we both gave this a uh, five stars. Hall yeah, this is a Hall of Fame song for sure. I love this song. I, I really this is another one where like I really like the the live seventy five to eighty five version of this song. I, th- I think the it's it's like just the like the the dum 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 on the guitar and the harmonica. It's it's really good. Um, so th- this is yeah, this is a solid record. We've been we've been at it for a while, so we probably ought to wrap it up. But yeah. Man, I, I love the songs on this album. I, I, I still don't love the recordings all that much. I There, there are some songs I, I do. I, I think State Trooper needs to sound the way it sounds on this album. Um, but Atlantic City, I just I prefer live versions of Atlantic City, you know? So Yeah. I, I love this version of Atlantic City. I, I think I think a lot of the live versions are great, too. But I, I think this record, top to bottom, is pretty perfect. It, it is a pretty perfect. And it, and it, because of the mood it's trying to set and the sort of the, the theme Bruce is trying to explore. And I think this is why Little Steven was like, this needs to be the demos need to be the album, because I think he saw the thing that it was, which was this is an exploration of dark spaces. And if we try and pretty it up with like big production value and the band, it's going to kind of it's going to take away the thing that makes it what it is. So it need, this is one of those those albums that like it needs to sound this way for it to be what it is, you know. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Here, here's the it, hard. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. I was just gonna say the hardest question of the day is if you're gonna stack all the albums that we've talked about so far, where do you put this one? Oh, I was just trying to do that. Like I don't know. It's very difficult. I feel like we didn't do it with the river because it was broken up, and so we didn't think to do it, and. Which is fine. Like part of me was like, I, I, I started to do my like check my list, and then I was like, don't bring it up. <laughs> oh wait, no, <laughs> we did. I, ju- up, I just finished hey, editing that it. episode. We did do that. Oh, we did. Yeah, because I put it right in the middle. I like. I, I think you. Yeah. I think you put it under greetings. Yeah. Did I put it under the wild, the innocent? I can't remember, but I remember. <sighs> for me, it was born to run, darkness on the edge of town, the river, uh, wild, the innocent, and then greetings. And I think you. I, I can't remember. I, the river was either four or five on that list for you, but I can't remember which one. I don't know if I like the Nebraska better than the river or not. That I mean, that is a tough call. It just depends on. It's like, is it raining? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like, I don't. Am I? Am I enjoying my life or am I staring into the abyss? <laughs> yeah, like it was raining all all week. It's been raining for like a week and a half. Yeah, and I have been just like studying and needing some sort of something I can put it on and. That's not like sing along music, you know. Yeah. And so, um, I've been listening to this a lot because <laughs> I started listening to it in preparation for this, and then it just was raining and <laughs> it got dark, you know, like yeah, it got kind of dark for me there for a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then it was really sunny today, and I was like, I need to listen to the river once today. 
just before we record, but I just couldn't do it because it was so sunny. Yeah. And I'd been in such a dark mood listening to it for like a week straight. I just, I, this is the first time I'm like recording right now is the first time I listened to it today because mm. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. So, uh, I don't know. You can pass. We can, we can hold off and like stack them up when we're all done or like later on. Um, I, I, I put this right below the river for, in fact, on, on yeah. my list of favorite albums from the eighties, the river is number one and Nebraska is number two. Okay. So, so on my list, I've got one is born to run two is darkness in the edge of town. Three is greetings. Four is the wild and the innocent five is the river six is Nebraska. I don't think that's right though. I don't think that's right at all, man. I mean, just, you know, live with it for pray on it, you know, yeah. do it, poke it with a stick. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I think wild is I think wild's lower, so I think it's like the river is four. I mean and Nebraska five. And while the innocent East Street's level six. To me, that speaks to just like the incredible nature of this body of work so far. That we could yeah. be talking about putting albums like The River and Nebraska and Wild the Innocent at the bottom of a list. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And then we're doing Born to Run next and then Tunnel Love to that. Like Born I'm in the USA. About getting to that's what I meant. Born in the USA, sorry. It happens all the time. Uh I'm, I'm, my bad. I'm super pumped about getting to like even touch in Lucky Town and the Ghost of Tom Joad because like I know where those sit. I was gonna say yeah, those are good like fall guys for the for the like yeah. It, oh thank thank God I like I, now now we've talked about <laughs> the human touch. I have something to put at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like the Rising of the Devils and Dust. Like where's the Devils and Dust sit? You know, that, that, I mean, it's a great record. It's an incredible record. This list only gets more difficult the further into this we get. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, man. Um. All right, well, let's let's wrap it up, and then if uh, if you're a patron, go over to the uh, to the patron feed, patreon.com forward slash Springsteen, and we're going to do a bonus episode. And, and as JB mentioned before, the bonus episode this week is top five acoustic slash uh, quote-unquote stripped-down albums, lo-fi, however lo-fi you want. Lo-fi records. Lo-fi records. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about sort of the parameters and how we determine that uh, as we go. But, yeah. um, but on this the main This is one feed, that I was not excited about whenever you sent it to me and that I'm pumped about right now. Like, I've got some... Incredible records to talk about. I'm excited to have this conversation. We're, we're I think this is going to be a fun one. So, uh, so feel free to join if you're a, a patron. Feel free to to join us over there. And if you're not, and you want to uh, just catch us next time on the main feed, next time we'll be talking about the 1984 album, Born in the USA. So, yeah, everybody have a great week, and we'll see you soon when we talk about Born in the USA. <laughs> <laughs>